0: that truth to keep, that
1: life to live, that we, your friends, may be, that
0: we, your friends, may
1: be. A reading from the book of the prophet Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought these those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O King, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. The young man walked around in the midst of the flames, singing hymns to God and blessing the Lord. But the angel of the Lord came down into the furnace to be with Azariah and his companions, and drove the fiery flame out of the furnace, and made the inside of the furnace as though a moist wind were whistling through it. The fire did not touch them at all, and caused them no pain or distress. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Glory and praise forever.
0: Glory and praise forever.
1: Blessed are you, O Lord, God of our ancestors. And blessed is your glorious and holy name.
0: Glory and praise forever.
1: Blessed are you in the temple of your holy glory, and to be extolled and highly glorified forever.
0: Glory and praise forever.
1: Blessed are you on the throne of your kingdom, and to be extolled and highly exalted forever.
0: Glory and praise forever.
1: Blessed are you who look into the depths from your throne on the cherubim.
0: Glory and praise forever.
1: Blessed are you in the firmament of heaven to be sung and glorified forever.
0: Glory and praise forever. Glory and praise to you. Jesus Christ. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are they who have kept the word with a generous heart and yield a harvest through perseverance. Glory and praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me, because there is no place in you for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. you are indeed doing what your father does. They said to him, We are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The truth will make you free is one of the more famous lines from Scripture. Though it wouldn't surprise me if many people aware of the line weren't really at all sure who said it. But in actual fact, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the one who is speaking of truth not as an abstraction, but as a person himself, just like he spoke of resurrection as being not an abstraction, but a person himself. But you know, when we hear the expression, the truth will make you free, we could be inclined to ask, like Pilate was to do on Good Friday, well, what is truth anyway? Or like the Pharisees who are arguing with Jesus, well, what are you doing talking about being free? We don't consider ourselves to be bound up and to be slaves. So you could go at it either of those ways, and I think both of them are quite used in the living reaction to any talk about the truth today. I think there's an interesting angle on this that might help us a bit. It was very famous that the last mass that the assembled cardinals celebrated together before they went into the conclave in 2005 that elected Pope Benedict XVI, that he actually, as the Dean of the College of Cardinals, presided over that mass. And in the course of that mass, he referred to what became a very celebrated phrase. He called it the dictatorship of relativism. That phrase has been used quite a bit in the time since then. Relativism, of course, meaning that truth is a very, very flexible thing. Because everything's relative, well, you know, you have your truth and I have mine, and all the kind of thing that we know that we hear today so much. But Cardinal Ratzinger referred to it as a dictatorship of relativism, a fascinating choice of words, because for all of its implication of being very tolerant and, oh, you can just think whatever you want, relativism, in fact, ends up becoming a very considerable enslavement He used the word dictatorship very deliberately because he was talking about how not believing that there is, in fact, an actual truth and that that truth is the person of Jesus has become the only way you're permitted to think now. Anybody who actually believes in objective truth or in Jesus as the truth is to be condemned. It's a dictatorship of relativism. Relativism is the only way that you're permitted to think. A strange contradiction, if you ask me. Now that becomes a real enslavement. No wonder Jesus said that the actual truth will set you free. Then I find myself thinking of our first reading today, where those three young men get thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace and come up literally smelling like a rose. Before they get thrown into the furnace, when they are still having their um, conversation with the king, that, to me, is the most important part of the entire passage. Because the king, of course, commands them to fall down and worship all the false gods. could talk about that as a kind of relativism, if you will. He commands them by a dictatorship of relativism to bow down and to pray to all the false gods. And if they refuse to do so, then they will be thrown into the fiery furnace and then we'll see whether their god actually does anything to save them. It is their answer to that that I just find so fascinating. They answer, if, Our God comes down and saves us out of the fiery furnace. That's just fine and well and good. But even if he does not, we are not going to bend before falsehood. We are going to stand for the truth even at the cost of our lives. We are going to stand for the truth, even if we don't get coddled or rescued for doing it. Because the truth and standing for the truth is more important to us than being saved from physical harm. To me, that is a remarkable moment when these three young men speak a profound truth, a truth that is beyond the relativism. The very truth which Jesus represents, stands for, proclaims, and indeed is. I've told this story many times before that I will never forget, as long as I live, celebrating a school mass in the general vicinity of this time of year. This is many years ago. And when it came to the homily time, I asked the children, I'd like you to think about something and to tell me why it is that Jesus was put to death. Now, right now, true as it is, I don't want any answer like Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins and what we call theological answers. They're all perfectly accurate. But right now, that's not what I'm asking for. Let's put it this way. Why do they want to kill him? Let's ask that question instead. Why did they want to kill him? Why were they determined to kill him? And this little fellow put up his hand and said very solemnly, because he told the truth. There's no way I could have said that any better. And of course, we know that Jesus did not just tell the truth or stand for the truth or die for the truth. He is the truth. And in the slavery of sinfulness and the slavery of our misery and our agony and our pain and our self-destructive ways, Jesus rises up on the cross to become a truth that rescues us from a fate worse than death, namely the death of the life of God within us. He rescues us from that by a truth that will always stand when all of the relativistic things have long ago collapsed into the dust. Some have argued that this very potent quiet time right now that we're all going through that requires of us perhaps to rethink what our priorities are, what's really important, what we have tended to devote all our attention to and how unimportant it really is, all that kind of thing actually being rather relative, that maybe it's focusing our attention more, or could focus our attention more, on what's really important, what's really going to last, what is really true, including our relationships, which we so often neglect, and our relationship with God, which we so often neglect. May the Lord Jesus, who is our truth and our way and our life, bring us to that moment of self-revelation and that we will truly allow him to dwell within us completely.
1: We hope that our podcasts have been inspiring. And now, our pastor, Father Martin, offers a few closing words. Lent
0: is a time to deepen our faith through prayer, penitence, and charity. We pray that our readings and homilies help you to prepare to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at Easter. Just as we display ashes as a mark of our faith on Ash Wednesday, please share the readings and homilies with others by inviting them to our website where they can find them all day by day. What a great gift to present at the altar on Good Friday that you helped spread the good news of our
1: salvation. And thank you for your prayers and support.